0: Good morning, welcome to Axios Today. It's Tuesday, December 20th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Today, the health stories to watch as we head into the new year. But first, the January 6th committee recommends criminal charges against former President Trump. That's today's one big thing.
1: Mr. Chairman, on this vote, there are nine ayes and zero no's.
0: That's the January 6th committee voting yesterday to refer former President Donald Trump to the Justice Department for criminal prosecution. The committee accused Trump of committing four federal crimes, two conspiracy charges, a fraud and false statement, obstruction of an official proceeding, and inciting an insurrection.
2: We
1: understand the gravity of each and every referral we are making today, just as we understand the magnitude of the crime against democracy that we describe in our report
0: That's Representative Jamie Raskin. Axios' congressional reporters Andrew Solander and Elena Treen have been covering this story. Elena, this is an unprecedented move by a congressional committee. Can you walk us through exactly what happened yesterday? The
3: hearing walked through some of the greatest hits, I'd argue, from their investigation. Just to really put a finer point on why they came to the decision that they did, which was at the end of the hearing— They introduced that they would be making criminal referrals for the former president. The first was obstruction of an official proceeding. The second, conspiracy to defraud the United States. Third, conspiracy to make a false statement. And fourth, to, quote, incite, assist, or aid, or comfort an insurrection. And this is a huge deal. Like you said, Nyla, this has never happened for any congressional committee before, But the members said that they thought this was necessary due to the scale of the illegal behavior that Trump and his allies engaged in during their efforts to overturn the 2020 election.
0: Andrew, who else was implicated here?
2: A number of Trump's allies are implicated in various of the charges. So the main one is John Eastman, the lawyer who Trump sort of enlisted to help him come up with these various schemes to try to overturn the election, such as trying to convince, you know, former Vice President Mike Pence that he could, you know, single-handedly reject electors on January 6. Other players include Rudy Giuliani, Mark Meadows, the former chief of staff. Ken Chesabro is another one. The only one for insurrection, though, it's probably worth noting, is for Trump. None of his allies are part of that referral. It's just him.
0: Yesterday was the last public meeting for this panel that has, for the past 18 months, reviewed tons of evidence, conducted hundreds of interviews. Portions of the final report were provided to Axios. What are some of the new revelations here?
2: Yeah, so, you know, one vignette is Bill Stepien, Trump's former campaign manager, talking about how he viewed himself as part of, quote-unquote, Team Normal, in contrast to Rudy Giuliani, who was spreading a lot of these conspiracy theories. And Stepien talked about how he sort of quiet quit the Trump campaign when Giuliani was brought on to spread some of these conspiracy theories. In another instance, Trump was handed a note about the Ashley Babbitt shooting that said, one time civilian gunshot wound to the chest at door of House chamber. And the committee's report says that they have no evidence that note changed Trump's state of mind or any evidence that he expressed remorse about the shooting, just a lot of different little pieces of evidence, little pieces of testimony that can change our perspective on some of these key events. What happens next
0: here?
3: Well, it's up to the Justice Department to decide what they want to do with these referrals, if they will actually bring criminal charges against the former president, against other individuals that they've listed in their report. With Donald Trump running in 2024, they do want to get this done and wrapped up sooner rather than later so that it doesn't have the appearance of being more political. But it really is a Justice Department determination here in Congress. It really is out of their hands to do anything that can rise to the level of actual prosecution.
0: Elena Treen and Andrew Solander cover Capitol Hill for Axios. Thanks to both of you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, you, Nyla. In other Washington news, the Supreme Court yesterday decided to temporarily halt the ending of the Trump-era Title 42 border policy that lets the U.S. turn migrants away at the U.S. border without a chance for asylum. The policy had been said to expire tomorrow. The move came after a coalition of Republican-led states yesterday asked the nation's top court to intervene to keep the policy in place, after a lower court judge had previously ordered Title 42 to end. We'll keep watching this story. In a moment, health stories of 2022 that will shape the new year. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. Heading into the holiday season, the so-called triple-demic of COVID, RSV, and flu has prompted some cities to encourage masks again. But it seems like people are, by and large, ignoring these suggestions, intent on getting back to a pre-pandemic version of the holidays. The triple-demic is just one of the big health stories of the last year. And Axios' senior healthcare editor, Adriel Betelheim, is here to catch us up quick on that and what else he's watching for in 2023.
1: Hi, Adriel. Hi, nice to be with you.
0: Adria, let's start with COVID. The public health emergency designation that's been in place during the pandemic means many more people were able to stay on Medicaid than is typically the case. Is that emergency designation expected to be lifted soon? And if so, what will happen to all those people?
1: Well, uh, the designation is going to run through April, and then afterwards, it's kind of the Biden administration's call. They have to give 60 days notice if they want to let it lapse. It's widely expected at some point that they are going to lift it. And what that'll do is, well, it'll trigger a lot of things because many things in healthcare are riding on that designation. But one of the things is that states, for the first time since the pandemic, can start redetermining who's eligible for this safety net program, Medicaid, and that is estimated to result in a big spike of uninsured people because states were paid extra to keep people on the Medicaid rolls throughout the emergency. They're saying perhaps 14, perhaps 15 million people could fall off.
0: What can people expect in terms of developments for COVID vaccines next year?
1: the FDA has scheduled a hearing of its uh, outside advisors next month, late January, where they're going to discuss new formulations. And I think where they're trying to head is to a point where they're not just reacting to crises and waves of disease, but they're trying to come up with a more long-term strategy that possibly you know, acknowledges that COVID's not going away, but it's falling in line perhaps with other seasonal respiratory illnesses. In some years, COVID could be the worse. In other years, it's flu or RSV, and maybe they eventually come up with a vaccine for two or three of them. So that's the beginning of what could be a year-long process involving FDA, CDC, and other public health agencies and states.
0: Adriel, I wanted to ask you about another big development in healthcare this year, the approval of new drugs that basically reverse engineer your genetics to prevent diseases like Alzheimer's from developing. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Well, I mean, this this era of multi-million-dollar gene therapies has arrived, and that's great for patients with debilitating diseases, but it presents huge affordability challenges. These therapies are are ranging, you know, from eight hundred fifty thousand to two point one million, and you know that doesn't include new oncology drugs and such. So, while this gives hope and could extend lives, you know, if you have a a drug that's one point five million dollars, how how is that going to be covered? Are insurers going to pay for it? Is there going to be some massive co-pays? Do state or federal governments have to step in? So a lot of this will come down to Medicare determining whether they're going to pay for it and private insurers possibly following.
0: Abortion politics has been a huge story this year. What have you been watching and what are you going to be watching for here?
1: So the overturning of Roe v. Wade, you know, obviously scrambled calculus for all types of reproductive health. There's now a a patchwork of laws with, you know, half of the states roughly allowing abortions, half of it either outlawing it or expected to. And now there's going to be follow on attempts to put more curbs on the procedure. There is, of course, in Congress talk about Republicans putting in place a fifteen week federal ban. That's not obviously going to happen with Democrats still controlling the Senate and President Biden's still in office, but there's the symbolic effect of that. And states are going to be enacting more curbs. So the big question is, how do they write these laws? If they're very broad, there is some concern that the anti-abortion laws could also net up things like fertility treatments or surrogacy. And if that happens, there will obviously be court challenges, and you wind up having judges in courts making reproductive health policy.
0: Adriel Medelheim is a senior healthcare editor for Axios. Thanks, Adriel. Thank you. That's it for us today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.